Hello and welcome to Mindful of Everything with me, Agrita, a podcast giving an insight to the mind of deep thinkers, where in each episode I'll be discussing various thoughts and questions deep thinkers often find themselves mindful of, from topics such as climate change to self-development and everything else in between. So, let the journey of mind unravelling begin now. Before I begin today's episode, I would just like to remind you that if you haven't already, please listen to part 1 and part 2.1 of this Climate Change Should Be Our Priority series to make sense of the episodes that are linked to this series. In part 1, I mentioned that there are three main reasons as to why I believe that climate change should be our priority. And in part 2.1, I discussed the first reason why I believe that climate change should be our priority, which was tackling climate change will help fight the pollution issues that are happening in our society today. Part 2.1 was a section of that first reason, so it was looking at air pollution. Today, I'll be talking about plastic pollution. So, let's begin. I want you to close your eyes for a minute and just imagine a classroom. It's the year 2050 and you are a teaching assistant that is sitting in a classroom full of eight to nine-year-olds. Everything is looking like a normal classroom would, even if it's the year 2050. Nothing is different. Everything is looking the same. It is dead silence in the classroom because the teacher has just told the class that there will be a test next week on the different continents of the world. The teacher is standing right in front of the classroom with a big map on the interactive board and one by one, she or he is going through the different continents. Pretty simple. But one thing has confused you. On the top of the board, there is a title and it says, The Eight Continents of the World. Eight? I thought it was seven. You think it's just a mistake and you continue listening to the teacher. So one by one, the teacher is going through the different different continents, North America, South America, Africa, Europe, Asia, Australasia, or Oceania, Antarctica, and the Great Pacific Garbage Patch. The whole class starts laughing so much. There's a big chaos. The teacher's trying to tell them to be quiet, and you're just sitting there like, what? The teacher continues to tell the children to be quiet and says that there's nothing wrong with the name. It is the truth. There is a massive garbage patch in the Pacific Ocean that is the size of Africa. And the children continue on to laugh. But you're sitting there thinking, really? I just want you to remember that this is the year 2050. I want you to open your eyes now and realise that this is not what is happening right now. This is not our reality right now. But by 2050, if we continue on to produce the plastics, the waste, the pollution that we are continuing to produce, this may well be our future, not by 2050, but much, much earlier. Just to give a brief explanation of what the Great Pacific Garbage Patch actually is, for anyone that doesn't really know much about it, There are ocean gyres dotted around the planet in different oceans. 
essentially ocean vortexes. And just like any vortex, these are able to pull in anything that is heading its way. So you can imagine the amount of waste, the amount of things that are in these ocean vortexes, and that is exactly what the Great Pacific Garbage Patch is. The garbage patch is bounded by the North Pacific Subtropical Gyre, and what has happened is that any plastic in the region of the North Subtropical Gyre has become stuck in it. And the main issue with this is that the centre of any ocean gyre is inactive, so it's still. So anything that is becoming trapped in the gyres, like plastic, is staying there. It's not moving anywhere. It's either staying there on the surface of the ocean, or it is sinking to the ocean floor. Because the garbage patch is bounded by the gyre, it doesn't have a specific location. It does tend to move between seasons and changing currents. So although it is not like the continent that I told you to imagine at the start of this episode, the size of it already is massive. And if we don't do anything about it, if we don't do anything about the waste entering our oceans, it will definitely become the size of any one of our seven continents. Just to give you some stats to make you think I'm not over-exaggerating this, the Great Pacific Garbage Patch is actually two times the size of Texas right now and three times the size of France. And approximately 1.8 trillion plastic pieces are estimated to be in it. That's approximately 250 pieces of plastic per person on this planet now. So you can imagine just how much plastic alongside other waste products are actually in the Great Pacific Garbage Patch at the moment. That is only an estimate. Obviously the garbage and the plastic, the other waste products that we have encountered are actually beneath the ocean surface. Could also be on the ocean floor as well. So the size of it is absolutely massive. And we know that we haven't even been able to estimate how much plastic is beneath the surface. But another problem is that you can't see the Great Pacific Garbage Patch with satellites. So the satellites can't even detect where it is, but we know where it is because people that have taken boats out have seen the plastic on the surface. So we know it is there, but satellites can't even detect it. Because here comes the worst part. The Great Pacific Garbage Patch is mostly consisting of microplastics and we all know how bad microplastics are. Big pieces of plastic, they're bad and we can pick them up with microplastics. You can't do anything about that. Once they're in the ocean, it's near impossible to remove. So essentially, the Great Pacific Garbage Patch is actually a plastic soup full of microplastics and of course, bigger pieces of plastic and other materials. But it is essentially a grey soup that is in the North Subtropical Gaia. And even though it doesn't have the same texture or the same structure of a land continent, it can definitely become the size of any one of our seven continents. And the reason why I told you to imagine that classroom in 2050 where the teacher is telling students to remember the eight different continents of this planet is because if we aren't going to be sorting out the issue of plastics, we will definitely be having to teach the future generation that there is a invisible, yet very visible, floating continent in the Pacific, which has been created by us humans because we haven't paid attention 
to where our waste is going and we haven't been able to manage it in the most effective way. To find out more about the Great Pacific Garbage Patch, I am going to be putting a link from the National Geographic website that talks about the Great Pacific Garbage Patch in more detail. So like I mentioned, we have this soup, this grey soup of microplastics that satellites can't even detect. And then we have the issue of many, many plastic pieces and other waste being at the ocean floor. And because we can't access that, we don't know how much plastic is underneath our ocean surfaces. So you can already think that you might even have a second garbage patch at the bottom of the ocean. Scientists have estimated that around 70% of marine debris actually ends up sinking to the bottom of the ocean because it tends to be heavier than the plastic that is floating on top. So yes, you could potentially have a second garbage patch at the bottom of the Pacific Ocean. If you read the Nat Geo article, it shows all the different types of waste that people have found to be in the Great Garbage Patch and just in oceans in general. And you have obviously plastic and you have weird stuff like computer monitors and Lego pieces dropped because they have fallen out of cargo vessels. But the majority of the waste is plastic. A lot of it is also fishing nets that are made of plastic. And the reason why people are emphasising on plastic waste the most compared to any other waste is because plastic is the only thing that doesn't degrade. It just stays there. If it's on the land, if it's in the ocean, it will just stay there because it is made in the way that it will only degrade after hundreds of years. And once it does degrade, it will be releasing toxins back into the environment. Plastic on land is bad enough, but what's really bad about plastics being in oceans is that plastic and water and sunlight do not go well together. Sunlight is a great catalyst for plastics to break down easily. So when you have water involved, plastics do break down much quicker and then that is polluting the waters even more. That is making plastics break down to microplastics. And then, like I said, cleaning up microplastics is near impossible to do because they can't be seen by the naked eye and they can't just be collected like big plastics can be. We are all familiar with the problems of marine debris and microplastics and we know how they're affecting aquatic species. We know that they are affecting aquatic species much more than it is affecting us. For instance, loggerhead sea turtles, they easily mistake plastic bags or anything that has a flimsy feel to it for jellyfish. And so of course, once they're eating them, they are feeling full and then they're not eating properly because plastics are jamming their system and they end up dying. There are many other organisms that are also mistaking plastics for their food and then it is affecting their health. Ultimately, they are dying. So species are being affected by this. You're seeing seals and larger animals being stuck in abandoned fishing nets, causing them to be affected by ghost fishing. Plastics at ocean surfaces is also preventing enough sunlight to get through. So phytoplankton, that is the primary producers of the oceans, they're not getting enough sunlight. So of course, they will eventually die out. Then ocean food chains will be disrupted. And of course, people that are eating seafood, they will be affected. 
and communities that depend on fishes, that depend on seafood, will be affected in a very, very negative way. We usually think that animals and organisms in oceans and on land are mostly affected by this. But what is actually worse is that a lot of plastic is now ending up inside us. WWF has said that we could be eating approximately 5 grams of plastic per week. 5 grams of plastic per week. Especially people that are heavily eating seafood. National Geographic have another article on how we eat thousands of plastic every year. And one of their studies found microplastics in fecal samples of the human test subjects in that study. And Nat Geo approximate that we could be consuming microplastics in amounts as high as 52,000 particles per year. And the number can reach to 74,000 if you include microplastics that we have inhaled. So we've heard about drinking or eating plastics through water and of course through seafood. but. This is the first time I'm hearing about inhaling microplastics. So it's literally saying that nowhere is plastic free anymore. Our oceans, our land, our water, our food, the air we're breathing, nothing is plastic free anymore. And if we can't see it, then it's most likely in the form of microplastics. In fact, chances of taking in plastic through air has actually become more common than taking in plastic through seafood, especially dust. The consequences of this to our health is not straightforward, but it can definitely affect our immune system, our digestive systems, and also airborne particles can include many toxic chemicals, and microplastics themselves can be breeding grounds for parasites. So if we are taking in plastics, so microplastics through the air or food or water, they can have parasites in them that we haven't been able to detect yet. So you can imagine how big the magnitude of this plastic issue is for the planet. So we know the damage that plastic does to organisms, does to us, does to the environment. But how do plastics link to climate change? Just to give you an idea of how plastics directly affect climate change, in 2019, it is approximated that producing and incinerating plastic will add more than 850 million metric tons of greenhouse gases to the atmosphere just in 2019 alone which is equivalent to 189 500 megawatt coal-powered plants emitting the same amount of greenhouse gases so the plastics that we are producing and we are burning will produce the same amount of greenhouse gases as 189 500 megawatt coal power plants will emit in this year alone. This is because currently about 8% of the world's oil is actually used to make plastic. So you can imagine how dependent plastic production is on fossil fuels. This was 2019, this was this year, but by 2050 apparently the greenhouse gas emissions from plastics could reach up to 56 gigatons. So that's 10 to 13% of the remaining carbon budget. When we talk about carbon budget, we mean how much we can emit before the atmosphere will not be able to take in the amount of CO2 we are putting in. So the amount of emissions produced from plastics in 2050 could make up 10 to 13% of the remaining carbon budget that we have right now, just on plastic production alone. 
Just for your reference, these stats are from the executive summary of the Centre for International Environmental Law, aka CO. The link will be on my website. And CO has written out in a very nice way the ways in which plastic actually produces all the emissions that I have mentioned so far. You may be thinking, where exactly are these emissions coming from? So CO has written out in a very nice way the different stages of a plastic's life cycle that produces emissions. I also briefly mentioned this in part one, where I said each stage of a plastic's life cycle will be producing emissions. When we mention a plastic's life cycle, we mean fossil fuel extraction and transportation to make plastics, plastic refining and manufacturing, managing plastic waste, and the plastic's ongoing impact once it enters the environment, so like oceans, waterways, and land. So I'm going to go through each of the stages of a plastic's life cycle to go through exactly how much emissions are emitted in each stage. So the first stage of a plastic's life cycle is extraction and transportation. So 99% or so of plastics are actually made from fossil fuels. And of course, to make those plastics, you need to extract oil in particular. And extraction of fossil fuels produces emissions on its own. You have direct emissions like methane leakages. And you also have indirect emissions such as using energy, which is generated from fossil fuels to power drain processes. And also other indirect emissions such as clearing forest land to make mines and to make quarries to extract fossil fuels. So you have the emissions from extraction, but then transporting plastics is using fossil fuels on top of that. So that's why excluding the US, every year approximately 108 million tonnes of CO2 is produced from extracting and refining plastics alone. That makes sense, but it's also very shocking to hear because plastic is now everywhere across the world. Everyone is depending on plastics, so this stat, it's scary, but it makes sense. Then you have the second stage of a plastics life cycle, which is refining and manufacturing. Refining plastics is actually the most greenhouse gas intensive industry in all the manufacturing sectors on this planet so far. And of course, because the population is increasing and because demand is increasing, refining will have to grow at a very, very high rate. Refining includes cracking alkanes and also the process of polymerization to make plastic resins and both of these produce a significant amount of emissions. So you can understand why refining plastics is the most greenhouse gas intensive industry out of all the manufacturing industries we have right now. How significant are the emissions? Well in 2015, 24 facilities that were refining plastics in the US only in the US, produced the same amount of CO2 as 3.8 million passenger vehicles did in the same year. This is 2015. This report, I've realised, is um, a bit old, and I couldn't find a better report that was more recent. But in 2015, if 24 refining plastic facilities in the US could produce the same amount of CO2 as 3.8 million passenger vehicles did in the same year, you can imagine how greater that stat would be right now. The third stage is waste management of plastics. Waste management includes either recycling plastics, throwing them on landfills or incinerating them. 
and all three rays have their own emissions. Surprisingly, landfills actually produce the least amount of emissions, relatively, but of course they pose more environmental hazards, such as chemical runoff from landfills for things that are degrading. Then you have risk to organisms and animals and contamination of land, using land for landfills instead of houses, and then the issue of lots of waste in landfills being incinerated and producing emissions for that as well. Not only that, apparently landfills are the third largest source of methane emissions. So if you remember in part one, I mentioned methane emissions and how we focus on CO2 a bit too much when methane is a more potent gas. And I also said that we can't, as individuals, do much about methane emissions. But hearing that landfills are the third largest source of methane emissions, I think we can do something about that. If we just limit our waste, if we limit our dependency on throwing things away very quickly, we can be dealing with this issue in a better way. So that was landfills. Recycling as a form of waste management actually produces a moderate amount of emissions. I have heard about this before. I know that recycling is an energy intensive process but of course recycling is much better than relying on virgin plastics and virgin products. We should be recycling the things we have present on this planet now instead of trying to extract more oil to make new plastics. So recycling is still of course the better option but it does produce quite a lot of emissions on its own because it is an energy intensive process. Incineration as you can imagine produces extremely high emissions compared to recycling and to landfills. Yet most plastic is actually managed this way. Countries find it much cheaper to just burn the plastic waste that they have. They can use that definitely for energy and to make electricity, but it's producing too much emissions and ultimately it's not a sustainable way to manage plastic waste. And then you have the last form of management which is the unmanaged plastic that is ending up in the environment, that is ending up in the oceans, on coasts, land, etc. We are aware that plastics have an environmental impact as they degrade, they produce toxins that are released into oceans or land, which is contaminating both, and plastics just take hundreds of years to degrade. Studies have also showed that plastics at ocean surfaces continue to release methane and other greenhouse gases as they degrade. So not only are they degrading to microplastics that are affecting aquatic life and also the cleanliness of our oceans, but they are also releasing methane, which, like I said, is a very, very potent gas, 84 times more potent than CO2 in the short term. And what's even worse is that plastic in the ocean, which is right underneath sunlight so is exposed to sunlight will be degrading faster so you will be having more methane production. Because I've mentioned plastics being in water and being underneath the sun quite a few times already I'd just like to mention a post I posted on my personal account that I will be posting on my podcast account for all my social media pages. It was about floaties and how floaties are made of PVC which is a plastic that you can't recycle at the moment and when it is in water and when it is under direct sunlight 
it does degrade slowly but it does degrade and the chemicals that are released are toxic and once they enter oceans or once they are in your swimming pool and then you're draining swimming pools out those will be ending up in the oceans and that is of course very detrimental to aquatic life it will become detrimental to us once we drink that water once we eat the seafood that is consuming those toxins so if you really really can please do avoid the use of floaties in my post you can see all the details about it later i won't be going into much detail now but in the post i did mention that i tried to avoid buying floaties but because my parents can't swim we just had to and it became a necessity rather than a want so we did try to remove the floaties as much as we could from the water when we weren't using them and we didn't leave them in the pool when we weren't in the pool at all so whenever we were coming out of the pool we would take the floaties out so if you do have floaties please do remember to not leave them in the water unattended under sunlight because they will be degrading and if you really can just avoid using floaties at all you can get pool noodles which are made out of biodegradable material and they are a lot of fun as well and you can get them if everyone in your party can swim and you can have fun that way or you can just go clean of any pool toys and yeah just have fun that way so we now know that plastics in the ocean are producing methane but actually plastics on land especially coastlines or riverbanks or just landscapes in general produce a lot of emissions actually at even higher rates than plastics in the ocean so literally plastics are just bad altogether there's no good about them something that i didn't know about and i wanted to share with you when i was doing my research i found this microplastics actually have the tendency to inhibit the ocean's abilities to sequester co2 so we know that trees and oceans they are very very good carbon sinks so whenever you do release co2 they do end up taking them in gradually but they do take them in but plastic actually can have the ability to inhibit oceans capabilities to sequester co2 so we are releasing co2 at exponential rates and yet the plastic that is entering our oceans it will be inhibiting how much oceans can actually take in CO2 in the from the environment. So that's a massive problem in itself. How exactly are their capacity getting affected? Well, one way is that when plastics enter water, they do end up contaminating plankton, both phytoplankton and zooplankton. I mentioned phytoplankton before, how plastics on the surface, they reduce the amount of sunlight coming through, so phytoplankton are having problems with photosynthesizing and of course that is affecting ocean food chains not only that but microplastics actually can contaminate phytoplankton so it reduces their ability to photosynthesize so not only are phytoplankton getting less sunlight than they would have if plastics weren't on the surface of oceans but their ability to photosynthesize is also being affected for zooplankton, plastic can contaminate them by affecting their metabolism and reproductive rate. So again, that will be affecting their numbers and will be affecting ocean food chains, ultimately affecting us. So there are endless ways that plastic is affecting the environment and is contributing to climate change. 
But that doesn't mean that we stop right here and we don't think about ways to solve the climate crisis through tackling our plastic pollution. Before I go through lists of ways that we can help reduce plastic pollution, I just want to go through ways that countries around the globe have been trying to reduce their plastic pollution. You can read the Nat Geo article that shows all the different countries and all the different regions that have done a lot so far to reduce their plastic pollution. I'll post the link on my website. The first country I'd like to go through is Canada. They have, I was very happy when they said this, but they have announced a ban on single-use plastics by 2021. That is a very early date. Even if it is two years away from now, of course it will take some time for companies and industries to stop their single-use plastic production and of course it all does take time but I am very happy that they have taken that step even if it might be difficult because many other countries haven't even taken that step yet. This is especially important for Canada because Canada has the world's longest coastline so any plastics that are washing up on coastlines or people that are dumping plastics, single-use plastics especially, in the ocean on coastlines it will be affecting Canada greatly. So for them to take this step is very important. Not only that, Canada actually has a quarter of the world's freshwater supply. So, of course, if they are reducing single-use plastics, less are going into the ocean and they will be protecting their freshwater supply that they have. Canada also only recycles less than 10% of disposable, aka single-use plastic. So they are definitely trying to implement strategies for industries and also the government to make sure that they can better manage plastic waste and try to become a zero plastic waste nation. So I think this is a major, major step for them and it is also symbolic for how countries across the globe should be tackling their plastic pollution problems. Peru has also taken a step to ban their single-use plastic use by preventing visitors to carry in any single-use plastic into 76 of their natural and cultural protected areas, e.g. Machu Picchu or any national museums, you're not allowed to take in any single-use plastics. They declared this since last year, 2018, and apparently is going into effect now. They are also trying to replace conventional plastic with reusable or biodegradable plastic, so they make sure that any toxic chemicals aren't released into their protected areas that they so depend on for tourism. Peru has brought in this ban because they realise that tourists that go to Machu Picchu actually produce a large amount of plastic waste and most of it is single-use plastics like plastic bottles and packaging, so they are definitely trying to improve that. They are also phasing out their own use of single-use plastic bags across the country in the following few years because the country only recycles 0.3% of the plastic that they produce and they throw out 75%. So most countries only recycle 9% of their plastic. To only recycle 0.3%, that's pretty bad. So Peru definitely has quite a lot of work to do, but they are definitely going in the right direction. San Diego has also banned styrofoam in food and drink containers and aquatic toys, mooring boys. This is especially important because San Diego is the largest coastal city in California. So if they ban polystyrene, aka styrofoam, it is very important because everybody knows how horribly styrofoam degrades. So whenever you have packaging that has styrofoam in it, 
no polystyrene in it all those little balls they just start going everywhere so if those go in the ocean it's already looking really bad and it is also very difficult to clean up even if it's on the land so in the ocean it will be worse that's why they have banned styrofoam Washington DC has said that by July this year, so they should have done it by now, they will be finding businesses that sell plastic straws, so single-use plastic straws. It's not just America, but also the EU Parliament has approved of a single-use plastic ban. It still needs to be passed, but apparently progress is looking promising, and the ban could be as early as 2021, so like Canada, the EU Parliament could be posing a ban on single-use plastics throughout the EU. The ban includes items such as cotton buds, plastic cutlery, plates, straws, balloons, containers, the list goes on. So any single-use plastics the EU is trying to ban. The ban, like I said, hasn't gone through yet and we don't know exactly when the ban will go through, but the EU is definitely making progress on reducing single-use plastics. I still feel like the EU and Europe in general needs to do more compared to other countries and other countries are more on track in reducing their plastic use and their single-use plastic use so I think the EU and Europe in general needs to do more but at least they're trying to tackle their plastic use. There are many more countries and regions that are working hard to tackle their single-use plastic use or just plastic use in general. You can check out the Natio website on my website that I just mentioned and you can just do a quick Google search as well and see all different ways countries, regions, nations are using to tackle their plastic pollution. So that was some of the ways that countries are using to reduce their plastic use. Now I just want to talk about solutions that we as individuals and also governments and industries can use to reduce their plastic use. I wanted to discuss the solutions in this episode but I realised it was getting too long and I also put a poll on my Instagram story asking if you wanted a shorter episode to listen to or a longer one. Most of you said shorter so I decided to divide this episode into two parts. So please listen to part 2.2.2 two to finish off this episode on why plastics are causing climate change thank you for listening i hope you've gained a little more insight to what it's like to be mindful of everything if you haven't already hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast app to be up to date with episode releases and go over to my website mindfuloveverything.home.blog to get more information This is Agrita with the Mindful of Everything podcast and I shall see you next time.